Welcome back, everyone. We're Simply Bitcoin. We break down the news from Twitter, the daily fail, meme review, software releases, hardware releases, and the websites by plebs. Joining us today, fellow Bitcoiner, the CPO of Luxor Tech Team and Hashrate Index. I'm talking about Guzman Pintos is joining us, but we are diving into the numbers first. Let's do it, Nico. Number time. Number time is brought to you by Bitcoin 2022. It's going to be the largest Bitcoin conference ever. That's right. Ever. That's how big it's going to be. It's going to be hosted in sunny, sunny Miami Beach, Florida, but be quick about it. Get your tickets now before the price goes up, but you can take advantage of the link down below in the link description for 10% off your tickets to Bitcoin 2022. At the time of this recording, the block height is 718,194. The Bitcoin price, 42,695. Chain rewrite days, 749. Total public lightning capacity, 3,328.78. Moscow time, 23.42. And blocks to the halvening, 121,806. Nico, the numbers. The numbers. Look at that. Hey, listen, at least it's not as depressing as yesterday. But in this time of consolidation and frozen in time that we've been stuck between 58K to 41K to 48K, we've had some awesome guests come on the show. So it's, it's, it presents an awesome opportunity to ask them, how do they feel? Guzman, how has your experience been? Were you expecting 100K Bitcoin in 2021? Well, that's kind of like, uh, to be honest, I don't know. Uh, I was definitely expecting $1 per hash, uh, like hash price. So m more looking at what's like mining revenue. Um, that's kind of my like holy grail. Um, so yeah, I, like holding ASICs. Um, but yeah, that didn't happen either. Uh, let's see if it happens next year. So yeah, super okay. bullish still on Bitcoin price. Can you explain to everybody, because I know what that is, but most people that don't know, that don't mind, don't know what that is. Could you explain what that metric is? What, why is it important? And who should be paying attention to it? Yeah, sure. So uh, hash price is kind of uh, like minus revenue. And hash price is measured on a per terahash basics. Uh, a terahash is kind of the compute power than in which you can measure the speed of different ASIC machines. An ASIC, it's a computer that is dedicated to mining Bitcoin, to securing the Bitcoin network that we all use. That's what uh, essentially provides the security of, of, of Bitcoin, all of its robustness. Um, so yeah, hash price is essentially that like uh, dollar metric per to a hash of compute power that you own when you have one of these ASICs. So if you have uh, like a hundred hash ASIC and hash price right now is like 25 cents. That basically means that your machine is making 25 cents times a hundred hash or $25 per day. Give or take a few sats here and there. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what the mining community follows that like hash price uh, metric. Uh, if that number goes up, miners make more revenue, more hash rate comes to the network and Bitcoin is a more essentially secure network for all of us to uh, to transact on 
So we're, we've been seeing a lot of news we covered yesterday, right, that it was Maripur, Marathon Mining. They just acquired 78,000 S19 XPs, absolutely mind-blowing, $876 million. Now that we expect more hash rate coming onto the network, wouldn't you say that price per terahash is actually going to go down? Yeah, sure. I mean, and right now we are seeing something that what we call like hash price super cycle. I mean, very similar. The hash price follows price quite a bit. But why we saw a super cycle in hash price is because a few months ago, we also had the China ban, where 50% of the Bitcoin network hash rate essentially was forced to turn off. So now all of the block reward was distributed among 50% of the miners. So essentially everyone's revenue kind of like doubled overnight. Uh, for all of us in, in North America miners, that was extremely profitable. Um, so that combined with Bitcoin going to like 68K, that made like a hash price super cycle in which we saw like 45 cents per terahash, which is crazy. Uh, but yeah, long-term hash price will tend uh, to almost towards zero, right? As long as there's a miner that is marginally able to produce revenue, there's an incentive to go and buy more machines, uh, find power, plug them in, and secure the network, and get paid for that work. Um, so yeah, uh, if miners are profitable, there's going to be more incentive and more capital capital flowing to the industry to continue powering on, like powering on machines. How? Go ahead, Phil. Oh no, I, I was just going to uh, I, I was just going to show a um, th there was it was a very interesting thing that happened today. Okay, and it, it relates completely to uh, to mining, and I just wanted to show this right. From Bitcoin Magazine, shout out to Darthcoin for for letting us know. Um, a solo Bitcoin miner with only 126 terahashes just won a block reward worth 6.25 BTC. So look that's at that, wild. right? Yeah, I saw that earlier today. That's why, like, that's like one in a lifetime. Yeah, it's like probably harder than winning the lottery, uh, to be honest. <laughs> like that's yeah. literally one machine. Uh, I think right now, if you take all of the network hash rate. Uh, we, we are talking like two and a half million ASICs, like if all of them are like S19s, something along those lines. Uh, and this is like one of those. Uh, and I was able to win one of the 144 blocks per day. So, yeah, that is, that is that is that is an insane payoff. That's an uh, but but the, the, the question is, right, is what's going on behind the scenes there? Right, because I, I don't know how much I believe, you know, like, it, it, think about it. Think about the amount of luck that would take. Yeah, because, it, 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 of course, statistically, eventually, every miner is going to find that block reward. But, you know, you're, you're, you're spanning that out over a very, very long period of time. Right. So was it Guzman? What's your best? What's your best guess here? What What's going on behind the scenes? of that insane block reward that that one ASIC found? It's statistics. At the end of the day, it's just that. And, and to avoid extremely lucky or unlucky scenarios like this one, that's why like mining pools exist. Uh, like mining pools, we are taking on all of that risk into our balance sheet and paying miners on the expected value of their hash rate. But Regardless if the mining pool but, yeah, but that one person is spending a lot of money and electricity every single day, 
you know, and the odds of him <laughs> finding that block is absolutely minuscule. I, I, I would suspect- not recommend doing that at all to no, anyone. No, not at all. Like, don't do it. That, Don't that, do it. That is that is absolutely. What machine is that? That's just one machine, basically. Yeah, uh, could be like an overclock S19, uh, or if not, it's I would say like a couple smaller machines. Maybe some minor with a couple rigs. Uh, <laughs> I I hope that this is like a home miner just mining out of the garage, and now they got like a six point twenty five BTC on, on their address. Uh, that would be that would be great to see. That's absolutely crazy, man. That that crazy. is he yeah. he beat he beat the odds and he he made a small a, 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 a nice little fortune. Yeah, nice little stack because of it. But anyways, <laughs> very 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 interesting stuff, Guzman. Thank you for explaining to everybody mm-hmm. all that awesome mining stuff, Phil. Thanks for pulling up that awesome data. That that's a one in a lifetime. What you just saw there, ladies and gentlemen, that's absolutely crazy. But anyways, Phil, it's time for the daily fail. The daily fail is brought to you by Amber app. Check them out. It's the easiest way to buy Bitcoin. That's right. You can stack the Schiff, which means every time Peter Schiff puts out a ridiculous tweet, you can stack that. The link is down below. All right, yellow. I know we're stacking the Schiff. You stacking the Schiff? Umber, the smart way to stack sets. Okay, so Lucky Redfish tagged us, okay, tagged us in this particular tweet here. Now we're going to do some switching back and forth with the screens, but just bear, just bear with me, okay? This is a video interview that took place uh, in August 2020 with Vinay Gupta. Okay. Now, many of us may not know who Vinay Gupta is. I do remember him from 2017. So we're just going to take a quick look at his bio before we explain what's in this video. Okay, so self-described here. So Vinay Gupta is a visionary serial entrepreneur and coder and well-known in the blockchain community. Gupta helped coordinate Ethereum's 2015 release, working as a project manager on strategy and communications. He worked as the strategic architect of Consensus, the leading crypto venture studio, and as the designer of Dubai's national blockchain strategy. Okay, so just giving you guys his background so that we understand, because once I show you guys the videos, you're going to be able to connect the dots, right? Because this person has intimate knowledge of Ethereum, has intimate knowledge of consensus. So that's what makes these interview videos that we are going to dive into in a second, very meaningful. Before we explain these videos, uh, before we dive into these videos, just give a quick explanation. Okay. So at nerd nation unbox, you know, recorded these and, release them. So thank you very much, you know, for doing that, because this is very helpful. There is going to be a link for the complete for the whole interview, the 25 minute interview in our show notes. Now, what we're going to be detailing, because we can't show you the whole 25 minutes, is a one minute segment from part one and a one minute segment from part two. Okay, and what he discusses in these. Okay, keep in mind what his background is in Ethereum and consensus. He discusses essentially why all these tokens, all these shitcoins have to be built on top of the grand Pumbaa shitcoin Ethereum. Okay. He explains why the liquidity has to stay there. And he essentially, okay. In not so many words explains how the VCs have figured this out and how they've gotten their hands, you know, how they've gotten their hands into the cookie jar. Anyways, let's dive in. We're going to start with the first video. Okay. What, What they're doing is this. You've got half a billion dollars worth of ether, right? Yeah. You can't sell half a billion dollars worth of ether without crashing the ether price. 
So what you're looking for is ways of turning your ether into money in ways which don't crash the ether price by selling out and turning it into dollars. Mm -hmm. This is the core goal. So what they've discovered... Turning, turning your, your investment, right, into money without crashing the Ethereum price. Okay? So it's very nefarious. There's a whole bunch of weird protocols that allow people to borrow, to lend money, uh, lend their ether out, and then claim interest on the ether, which is then paid in real currencies. DeFi. That's what we've been saying. It's DeFi. And what have we been telling you? Where does the liquidity come from? Who is this liquidity? Who are these liquidity providers? It's all the new bag holders that come in. Anyways, okay, I digress. We continue. So what we're doing is we're building a whole kind of speculative leverage market. You've got a thousand ether. Um, you want to buy more ether because you think the price is going up. So you borrow money against your thousand ether into another token. Then you sell those tokens for more ether. And so you've got all of this kind of leveraged uh, financialization stuff going on. The critical thing is that it's all zero sum. Every yeah. penny made in these markets is being lost somewhere else in the system. And the normal... Every penny that is being made in these markets is being lost somewhere in the system. Now, look, not everybody knows what a zero sum game is. So we're going to just, you know, provide a quick definition. A situation in which one person or group can win something only by causing another person or group to lose it. That's really just like Forex. Forex is a zero sum game. Anyways, we will continue on okay now this is part two of course it was playing while i was talking okay so this is this is part two of that video and we're just going to take the, this is just a snippet okay and it's continuing on what he was explaining about the DeFi markets all right now let's dive in so to all intents and purposes what we've gotten is very 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 aggressive unregulated crypto speculation um and it's just it's just draining money from people that are buying Bitcoin or weird tokens in the hope of getting rich one day. Yeah. So are um, you actually writing off your when you sold your ether or or you didn't get um, any money out of that? No, I mean I, I sold it at fourteen. I probably pulled out two years worth of income, maybe a little more. Mm -hmm. Um but you know, I knew that if I held onto it it was gonna be worth a lot more, but what was gonna come with it was a shit ton of legal risk. Um, and so I sold it out at that point because I wanted to be out of the legal firing line. But I also had a feeling that the project had become fundamentally corrupted, kind of at a spiritual level. Uh, and I think that that has been very much borne out in practice. Mm. Right? We, it has not developed a defensive line. Um, there is a new project called... So okay, and right at the end, he goes to shill a brand new project. So hold on. Hold on, okay? Um... I just I, before we before we move on to, you know, before we move on to the next piece of this story, I just want to explain that oftentimes the the person divulging the information. Right. And the actual information itself, um, it can vary greatly uh, in, in the sense that, you know. Some people are imperfect tools, right? I, I've heard this. I, I've heard this that that expression done before is that, you know, some people are are imperfect, we'll say vehicles for a message. Right. And the reason why I'm saying this is because he's a serial shitcoiner. OK, he's a serial shitcoiner. And I'm going to show you guys something after. OK, because even though he just explained to you how we're being how people are being fleeced in the DeFi markets and with shitcoining, that's not stopping him from shitcoining. 
Okay? Anyways, and we're going to dive into that a little bit a little bit later. Okay? But first, we're going to go take a look. So it's really interesting. As we were watching this as I was watching this video and we we're diving in, this article was published just today. Okay? 4 hours ago by a Mike Hobart, okay? Dark cloud cover, an ominous shadow is hanging over the crypto space. I hate that word crypto. It's so terrible. Okay, anyways, on January 5th, 2022, video content was shared on Twitter of a Google Meets video conversation between Marcin Jagubakowski and Vinay Gupta, which looks to have taken place on August 15, 2020. In just three minutes and 13 seconds, Vinay appears to give details on the precisely speculative bubble within the altcoin space, and particularly the DeFi and NFT markets that the Bitcoin community has so vigorously called out. One question that's been very key to this space as it has been unfolding that I couldn't particularly parse out, why are they all built on top of ERC-20 tokens? And we just explained that in the video. Simple answer, which is exactly what he explained, what, v what Vine explained, to capture the value of the Ethereum token. That's the signal. So they don't lose it. It simply just shifts. But it's all in the same place. Anyways, so that gains can be realized without crashing the USD price value of the paternal token. It, this is worse than a Ponzi scheme. I mean, this is like, this is like Ponzi cubed. Anyways, let's, let's continue because you see... When, when I started to watch this interview, it was very reminiscent immediately. It reminded me of the mortgage crisis. And as we dig down into the article right here. Why? Okay, why? Why did it remind you of the mortgage crisis? It reminded me. It reminded me of that. You'll see, because we're going to explain it a little bit later in the article. It has to do with repackaging terrible investments as something new and essentially creating liquidity for liquidity's sake. But these investments that the retailers are buying, right? In, in, our, in, in our case, right? We're talking about just random bag holders and noobs and you know what I mean? Stuff like that. You know, these people don't know any better. They're just quote unquote investing the same way as the people that were buying these mortgage-backed securities. They thought that they were buying triple A high quality mortgages. But what, what the bankers ended up doing was they started swapping in these subprime mortgages into these mortgage-backed securities. So, you know, they were essentially spreading the shit, right, all around. So it's just thin enough that you don't really notice that you're standing in crap, but it's all around you. It's just a very thin, spread-out layer. Anyways, in 2017, this was all the hype. Crypto diversification. I remember this when I was in 20, in 2017. I came in and, and I was telling people, yeah, I'm holding Bitcoin. And people would tell me, no, 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 you need to diversify. There's so many more currencies out there. You don't know which one's going to win. Okay. And of course, I didn't know shit. I didn't understand anything about Bitcoin. And I was like, well, that makes sense, right? We need the, the ones with the best technical properties. Anyways, so this little quote I thought was very interesting. Crypto diversification equals 2008 MBS diversification. MBS stands for mortgage-backed securities. Let's tie it together. The creation of MBSs, compounded by their success, opened the floodgates for financial engineering. DeFi. The redistribution of wealth rather than the creation of wealth 
you know, you now know what financialization is the act of inventing new methods to rearrange who has money without actually creating a new product. This is exactly what the shit coins do. This is exactly what it is. The problem is that the aforementioned process of these ERC-20 tokens being utilized to capture returns without crashing the underlying value of the ETH market has now been co-opted by VC and hedge funds and legacy market participants. Think A16Z. Think Poly Capital. Think Pantera Capital. Think Coinbase Ventures. Anyways, I sound like a robot at this point because that's what this is. This is robotic, psychotic crap. And, and we just keep falling into it. Anyways, we're going to tie this up right here. Do you remember what banks and Wall Street did with the mortgage-backed securities when they ran out of the high-quality product, when I was talking about before? They diversified by throwing together a significant quantity of medium to low-grade quality products until the risk exposure was deemed to be diminished by spreading out the surface area of the exposure across the varying degrees of quality. And this was my point before about spreading out the shit just thin enough that you don't notice it. Okay, and this is exactly what they did. Okay, and this is exactly what they're doing. And this is why you have to ask yourself, where does this liquidity come from? Okay, now, one last piece to this, okay? Because that guy, Vine, gave a great speech. Okay, gave a wonderful speech. But... Right here is his new product, Materium, okay? And let's just scroll right down and take a look. Buy real physical gold bullion NFTs on OpenSea. Now you see, he understands, you'll notice in that interview, right? He said that he got out in 2014. He wants to make sure that, the, that, that it's recorded, that he has absolutely no, because, that he has absolutely no Ethereum, because make no mistake, Ethereum will eventually have its day in the sun when the World Economic Forum and the other puppets that are around it that we've exposed are, you know, when, when they actually decide that Ethereum is not what they need. Okay? So, just to wrap this up, guys, we can see this, okay? We've got these other shit chains that are coming along. They're doing the same thing as Ethereum. All of this is meant to steal your money. All of this is a scam. Okay? And, I mean, we just showed another nail in the coffin. Man, look, it's, it's total smoking gun. Man, it's just... It, the more you uncover, the more you dig, the more you realize that it's the same people that are backing the same shit coins. And the sole purpose of these shit coins is to enrich the developers and these VCs themselves, and they have absolutely no other use case whatsoever. And the guy, you know, you heard it from the horse himself, right? You heard it from the horse in the mouth himself, right? Like, it's, it's all so that the Ethereum stays within the ecosystem so that the price does not drop. And it's just one giant, you know, pump and dump after another pump and dump we saw a little glimpse of it yesterday when we covered the bitclout guy how he just he just moved on to the next one and why wouldn't all these people move on to the next one to the next one if they made so much money on the first one they they, they realize they have a working formula might as well just stick to it do it over and over and over again rebrand it slightly you know just change the brand change this 
you know, change the logo, change that, and then do the same scheme all over again. And that's why these VCs don't like Bitcoin because they can't do that. In Bitcoin, everyone's equal. You have to stand in line and buy Bitcoin like everyone else. Look at Michael Saylor. Look what we had to look what he had to do to stack all that corn, right? He had to do it slowly over time so he wouldn't push up the price. He was just like everybody else. These VCs want to play God. They 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 want the astronomical gains at the expense of everybody else and the more phil digs it digs deep into this the more he uncovers the rotting pile of shit behind all of these shit coins and this is why you should only bitcoin but anyway gooseman do you have any thoughts on all this before we move on to the daily meme review yeah sure i mean this is kind of expected and just by looking at the fundamentals of these coins i mean uh also like seeing Ethereum transition into like proof of stake or Ethereum proof of like 2.0, right? That's literally VC is trying to get more control over Ethereum. Proof of stake is like essentially leads to centralization. All of these uh, huge entities, funds uh, that have billions of dollars pouring into this ecosystem by going to a proof of stake, they will only gain more and more control uh, over Ethereum. And what happens? Uh, there's also like multiple companies that are like leading their like development direction in Ethereum. But that just cannot happen in Bitcoin. Why? Because there's proof of work. And proof of work cannot be as centralized as proof of stake can be. Uh, because it's pretty much impossible to essentially convert that, all of the amount of energy required uh, uh, to essentially, essentially dominate the entire chain. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is to be expected just by looking at the fundamentals of the coins. Uh, like the way in which Bitcoin was built, in, in which we have that like supply cap in which we have proof of stake of the proof of work as the consensus mechanism is what brings the robustness to Bitcoin. And that's literally what Ethereum is lacking. So all of these like DeFi games, all of this um, place that we are seeing just cannot be built over Bitcoin uh, because the, the fundamentals don't, don't allow it. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is nothing new to me, to be honest. I mean, this is to be expected in something that is tending to more and more stratization. Um, where like a few people want to control the entire ecosystem. Absolutely. And, and then yeah. and, and just just that point right there. What is that but not the same than the fiat system that we have been experiencing all our lives? Where a small group of elites are essentially God. They make the rules. They call all the shots. And all the rest of us, us peasants, get screwed over. At least with Bitcoin... It's rules without rulers. Everyone's on an equal playing foot. And that's why they hate it. That's why they hate it. That's why the World Economic Forum backs Ethereum and not Bitcoin. They want their special seat at the table. Bitcoin doesn't allow that. That's why they hate it. And that's why you should only Bitcoin. But anyways, Phil, it's time for the Daily Meme Review. The Daily Meme Review is brought to you by Citadel 21. It's the best Bitcoin cultural zine. It's stories, comics, articles by toxic, savage Bitcoiners. But be quick about it because there's only a thousand copies made per volume. Get your print of Citadel 21 today. All right, the first meme is brought to you is by a legendary meme lord, Big Sean Harris. Bitcoin is that easy. So to summarize, fair, rare internet gold, buy some, then sell all your stuff for it, and human hamster wheel goes away. 
Absolutely hilarious. Moving on to the next one by Bitcoin Gandalf. Michael Saylor, 500% allocation to Bitcoin. Bill Miller, 50% allocation to Bitcoin. Ray Dalio, (laughs) 2% (laughs) allocation to Bitcoin. That's accurate. Anyways, moving on to Ding Dong 3001. Traders, oh my God, WTF, plebs, just an ordinary day in the life of a hodler, stacking more sats. Fucking legends. Ah, it's it's like an artwork. I like it. I like yeah. it. I like it. All right, moving on to Guy Swan. I love this meme by Guy Swan. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the headline tomorrow. How my friends think it's going versus how, how it's actually going. When Bitcoin dick dips... Text from from an old friend, how's that Bitcoin going? How they think it went, buy, sell, how it actually went. But little, this is how it is. This is the DCA, the swan mm-hmm. strike, fold, sold my chair, right? You know, this is this is literally what it's all about. This is what, it, what being a Bitcoiner is all about. <laughs> Moving on to this one. What were you doing January 10, 2009, running Bitcoin? That's a legendary Hal Finney fucking legend the little kid absolutely hilarious moving on to the toxic bitcoiner the centralized autism isn't priced in the super cycle looper lure smash buys at every price zero leverage all other pro- uh, properties inferior give zero fucks about interest rates zero counterparty risks superhuman autistic <laughs> abilities all your models are destroyed completely devastated absolutely hilarious memes and for that i'm going to give it my little coca-cola airplane it's made out of old coca-cola cans it's a little airplane what about you phil what would you give those memes very commendable i've never seen a coca-cola airplane very nice i like that that is an awesome collectible okay those are great memes i am going with that's right one of my random gadgets it is a pie fan take a look the pie fan Ooh. yeah all right, Guzman, the miner. What would you give for the hand? I have a Bitcoin passport hardware wallet. Oh, um, foundation devices. Foundation devices. Yeah, the one with the AA batteries. It's amazing. Shout out Zach. Shout out Zach for making that awesome hardware wallet. But anyways, guys, we want to know: Do you agree with our scores? Do you disagree? Let us know down in the comment section. And of course. Join us on alternative video platforms. YouTube is uh, going a little crazy, banning uh, banning some channels. I just heard, fresh off the Telegram, Bitcoin Magazine's channel was just snipped out of existence. So make sure to subscribe to us on alternative video platforms like Rumble.com and our personal favorite, BitcoinTV.com. They don't censor there. Because it's BitcoinTV.com. And of course, join our Telegram group. Link us some Bitcoin memes to review. Because of Bitcoin meme review, we need Bitcoin memes to review. Because of Bitcoin meme review. But anyways, Phil, it's time for the Daily News. The Daily News is brought to you by CryptoCloaks.com. They make the best 3D printed Bitcoin merch. Like the 3D printed Bitcoin Freedom Grenade. Unscrews, put your favorite hardware wallet in there. Or the 3D printed Bitcoin Honey Badger. Also opens up. You can put your open dimes, your hardware wallets, Really, really cool stuff. All 3D printed. And you can take advantage of the link down below for 5% off anything on the store. CryptoCloaks.com. All right. Another historic, historic, historic moment. Bitcoiners. Bitcoin is bringing freedom to El Salvador. It's bringing hope to El Salvador. We have the CSO and a dear friend of the show, Samson Mao, in 
the Legislative Assembly of El Salvador. Check this out. They're about to pass a law to make the volcano bonds a reality. Let's take a look at the video. Hey Sam, welcome to the Congress of El Salvador. Thank you, William. It's an honor to be here where history was made last year in June, right? When the Bitcoin law was passed. Yeah, exactly. This same spot was where everything happened. Our president, Najib Bukele, sent the bill project to the Congress and within three days, we approved it. And it became the first Bitcoin law in the whole world, making it a legal tender in El Salvador. Yes, and this year, we're going to have some more exciting things with the law for digital financial assets, which enables the Bitcoin bonds. We're ready for it. Yeah, volcano bonds are coming, EBB1 is coming, and we're going to make it all happen. And it's gonna happen here in the Congress of El Salvador again. Yes, history again will be made in El Salvador. Congratulations. Congratulations. Absolutely crazy, hopeful. You see hope there, right? Now let's contrast that with something else. But before we get to that, before we get to the stuff that's going on in the clown world, fiat world of the legacy financial money printer worlds like the US, like the UK, before we get that, also some bullish news. Cash App, that's right, Cash App has added, has added Lightning Network functionality. I have already tried it. It works. Absolutely bullish. Thank you, Jack, for quitting Twitter, becoming unleashed, and just adding all your goodness to the world. So now, not only do we have Strike that enables easy-to-use Lightning Network transactions, we also have Cash App as well. Anyways, moving on. So you compare this to El Salvador. This is hopeful. This is cheerful. You feel hope for the future. Let's take a look at what's happening in the clown world in the U.S., right? This is an article by Bloomberg. U.S. inflation rate is probably going to spike again. And you know who would have told you this? The Bitcoiners since last January. The widely followed consumer price index on Wednesday is forecasted to rise 7%. For the year through December, that is even higher than last year and climbed 0.4% from, uh, from a month earlier the following day. Another Labor Department report is projected to show prices paid to producers surged nearly 10% in 2021. Absolutely crazy. You know who called this? Bitcoiners did. Let's mm -hmm. see. Let's see how the Fed is uh, reacting. Powell assures Americans that Fed will tackle high inflation. But how will they? Because the Fed is stuck in a very tricky place. And anyways, let's see how... The, the Right now, Powell's playing whack-a-mole. Okay, he's playing whack-a-mole right now. He doesn't know how to deal with this. But let's see some of his, uh, some of his comments. And l let me know if you guys are thinking the same thing we're thinking. Fed. This is Walter Bloomberg. He covers, you know, he, he's very good account. He covers all the, the recent news. He's a very great Twitter account. But anyways, let's check it out. Fed's Powell, we haven't made any decisions regarding balance sheet reduction. Fed Powell, we will talk about it again at the January meeting. Hmm, interesting. Powell, we tend to take two, three, four meetings to make such decisions. <laughs> this is real, by the way. Mm -hmm. Fed, Fed's Powell, balance sheet is far above where it needs to be. And let's see how far above it is. <laughs> this is the Fed balance sheet. Yeesh. And uh, this is in 2008 when Satoshi invented Bitcoin Genesis, uh, the Genesis block. 
Chancellor on the brink of the second bailout for banks. And this is when the QE experiment and the QE experiment, this is how it works. The Fed puts uh, puts stuff on its balance sheet and then it prints the money. Satoshi knew that they would not stop printing. And that's exactly what they were going to do. The money printer went absolutely wild. This is the M2 money supply. This is the beginning of the pandemic money printing has not stopped. Here is Powell essentially saying, oh, you know, we're going to take two or three or four meetings to stop it. Uh, we're going to raise the rates in March. We're going to do that. But let me tell you why they can't do that, right? Here is an article by CNNBC. Higher interest rates upset stock market as high inflation tests the Fed. U.S. Stock, stocks resumed their sell-off on Monday as government bond yields continue to trek upward, a hint that many traders are certain the Fed will soon uh, hike rates. Traders say the pressure on U.S. stocks isn't thanks to material concerns about the economy, but portfolio repositioning for higher borrowing costs. Now you have the potential for interest rates, which appeared like they might not start going up uh, up until June. Now there's like an 80% probability that will happen in March. So what is going on here? It's very simple. It's what Mark Moss said when he came on the show. It's what we have been saying for the past year now the fed is stuck between a rock and a hard place if they stop printing money guess what happens the stock market crashes like that cnmvc article just said and if they continue printing money guess what more inflation so what are they doing they're absolutely scrambling as you could see by the statements by powell himself he's saying yeah okay we're gonna raise rates but it's going to take us not one meeting, two or three or four meetings. Uh, but at the same time, the rates are going to stay where they are. We're not going to print any money. So they don't want to stop. They don't want to crash the stock market. But at the same time, they want to stop inflation or they want to appear to at least stop inflation because inflation really helps the elites that have their wealth in equities and real estate. So this whole thing is a goddamn catastrophe. And if you want to save yourself from this political clusterfuck of a money, all you have to do is opt out, buy yourself some Bitcoin and avoid all of that freaking madness. Because this, if you think this is, this is just the beginning this is going to get worse. They don't have more road to kick the can down. This is game over for the fiat. Anyways, Phil, what are your thoughts? And then we'll move, move, move on to Guzman. How long until the Fed owns the entire country? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, they just keep buying assets like there's no tomorrow. I mean, how long until they just own the whole country? I, I, as I was, because I mean, I was watching that, you know, like as you're reading through this, and I'm like, you kidding me? There's, there's, there's almost nothing left. What are they, what are they pretending they keep buying? Eight, eight point eight trillion dollars on the Fed asset sheet. Eight point eight trillion. Anyways, I'm sorry, Phil. Go ahead. <laughs> oh no, no worries. That's it's brutal. But um, the the other um, the other piece to this is um, is no, oh, this, by right? the way, the oh, yeah. GDP of the U.S. is twenty one trillion. Oh. That means that the Fed almost the owns are. almost owns half half. <laughs> so, anyways. All right. So what? Like five more years till they own the whole country? At the I rate would they're going, I, I would say quicker than that, my yeah. friend. <laughs> All right, two to five, two to five. We'll go two to five. But um, no, the uh, the other point that I was going to make was this, right? Uh, when price fixing, 
because let's face it, let, let, let's face it, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. They can't stop printing money. They can't raise interest rates. They can't crater the stock market. I mean, yes, they can do all these things, but what are they going to do to get out of their own way? They can't do anything. So to me, the only next logical step, um, which again, is not actually logical. It's logical for them, okay? <laughs> because what they're doing makes no sense and they're money magicians. The next logical step for them is to start price fixing. Because with, like, you know, maybe, maybe for the next year or so, consumers aren't really gonna, yeah, people are gonna complain about the price hikes, but eventually we're gonna get to this kind of like, um, what's that term? Like the, 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 this runaway inflation, which conveniently that term totally disappeared, right? We've, we've gotten rid of runaway inflation. We've gotten a transitory inflation. At this point, there's no inflation anymore. Now it's just the Fed's fighting inflation. So we've gotten rid of inflation, even though it's happening all the time and it's the highest it's ever been. Um, so I, I just, or it's the highest been that it's been in many years. So to me, you know, when, when does that happen, right? When does the, essentially, when does the rubber hit the road and they can't stop what's coming? So those are my questions, right? When does the Fed own the whole country? When price fixing? <laughs> Guzman, you want to hit this? What are your yeah, thoughts sure. on this, so, brother? I think what happens in the next three to six months is going to show very clearly who the Fed and U.S. government as a whole, like, really care about. Because, uh, I mean, you just said that inflation really hits who essentially makes the, the least amount of money, right? All of the like lower and lower middle class uh, in the US and all over the world, right? Because there's also a lot of goods that are priced in USD. Uh, so the, the US is also exporting inflation to other countries. Um, so on one side, they have, should I defend uh, the interests of the people who make the least amount of money or should I continue to pump the assets of the, the wealthy, right? So... Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever they decide to do over the next three to six months is going to clearly show um, who they are like actually uh, looking out for. Um, and then going back to Bitcoin, Bitcoin fixes this. This is exactly why we are in Bitcoin, uh, because there's nobody that can choose between one or the two. Everyone is in an equal standing, regardless if you own, I don't know, $3 worth of sats equivalent or like uh, 120K coins like Sailor does. Like doesn't really matter. Everyone pays the same transaction fee. Everyone has the the same priority over the network. Everyone can do the same shit. So, um, so that that's something I'm like really keen to see what happens with like U.S. Uh, economic policy over the next three to six months. Um, so yeah, su- super, um, like yeah, kind of like anxious to see what happens here uh, and see who they like end up choosing because there's literally one or the other. There's there's no real way the system to just uh, essentially take care of everyone uh, because it's kind of like flawed in how it's designed. So let's see how, how it happens. And I really hope they don't go into like fixing prices because that's like a very South American thing to do. I, I mean, I'm from Uruguay. I've seen that happen in multiple countries. Sooner or later that explodes and then prices goes, go to the moon. Like even faster than Bitcoin will eventually do. Um, so I, ho- I really hope they don't do that. And something that is kind of like crazy to me. So all of my life, I all of my savings were in US dollars. Why? Because my my local currency, which is the Uruguayan peso, the inflation used to be much higher than than the, than the US like fiat, right? Um, and now it's the opposite. So it's kind of like crazy to me that I say, 
I mean, I'm saving Bitcoin, right? But to people that are not, they should now start saving in Uruguayan pesos because there's less inflation <laughs> in the American dollar. Like right now, Uruguayan inflation is like just under 7%. Um, so it's like, it's mind-blowing. Like I went four or five years to university and it was like, um, the US dollar is kind of like what every other currency is packed on and you should save in that. And like every single asset is denominating dollars and whatnot. And now it's like, fuck that. It's like turning around in like literally since COVID 24 four months ago, that literally turned around. Um, so yeah, it's kind of crazy, mind blowing to see, like not for me, but like for also like older generations, right? I mean, I'm fully into the Bitcoin ecosystem and um, a lot of my life savings are in Bitcoin. Uh, but for people that are not, like start like telling my friends, hey, you should be now like saving in Uruguayan pesos. They are like mind blown right now. So, so yeah, I, I'm really keen to see what happens over the next few months with the US economic policy. I completely agree, man. It's it's gonna be freaking crazy. But if you own Bitcoin, you're gonna be watching safely from the sidelines eating some popcorn. But anyways, to wrap up the new segment, we brought on Gooseman today and, and Gooseman is an expert in mining. Check this out. Canadian Bitcoin miner Bit Farms buys one thousand Bitcoin for forty three million dollars. So that's absolutely crazy and also i've heard from inside sources that miners are not selling the bitcoin that they are mining they are keeping it to themselves but bitfarms did something even more they went out of their way they're mining bitcoin but they went out of their way to buy more bitcoin so guzman why are miners and i'm not talking about little tiny miners like myself okay that has you know a couple hundred a6 machine no 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 why are these giant industrial miners buying Bitcoin? And more importantly, why are they not selling the Bitcoin that they're mining? And this is completely different, I might add, from the last cycles where miners would sell some of their Bitcoin at cost. Why is it different, Guzman? What's going on behind the scenes? What could you tell everybody? What do you know that we don't know? <laughs> I mean... Uh, I think there's kind of like different reasons why. Uh, the first one is because I think all of these companies are like Bitcoin native, that they do see Bitcoin as kind of like that superior asset uh, and the only asset to like store world. Um, so I mean, so that's kind of like, I would say like number one reason. And then the second reason is that these companies uh, are looking to continue buy and buy more ASICs, right? To continue adding to their portfolio. Uh, and ASIC prices, uh, are extremely correlated to Bitcoin price, right? So if you're planning to deploy capital into this space uh, over the next, I don't know, three, six, uh, one year uh, timeline, it's, uh, and if you don't want to lose or gain purchase power of the number of units or ASIC machines that you want to deploy, it's it's better if you keep Bitcoin into your balance sheet uh, because as if Bitcoin goes down, the price of these ASICs goes down. If, if Bitcoin goes up, the price of these ASICs also goes up. So on Bitcoin terms, you're always maintaining your purchase power. So if Bitfarms over the next three to six months, once you go to Bitmain and put uh, like another huge order, like uh, Marathon dead to buy the I don't know, latest and greatest S9, S19 XPs, it's uh, way more intelligent if they're holding Bitcoin into the balance sheet rather than if they are uh, holding fiat. Um, because I don't know, Bitcoin might, might go to 100K uh, in the next few months or i don't know or 20 nobody knows 
But if that happens, and if they're holding fiat, they could buy half the, the, the number of rigs or twice as much. Uh, and if you're trying to do like any planning and forecasting, you don't want to be uh, exposed to that volatility in the ASICs markets. So that's also like another reason um, for a lot of the mining companies to be holding Bitcoin. What are you not telling us, bro? I, I think that's it. I mean, Luxor is also holding Bitcoin. Um, we are also buying a few regs, mining pool, uh, holding so, Bitcoin. So let me know in all seriousness. I'm, I'm trying to get as much out of you. No, but why? <laughs> names. Why? Why is it? Why is it that in the previous cycles, Bitcoin mining companies were dumping a lot more Bitcoin? compared to this cycle why is it that this cycle it's different bitcoin i know you know what i'm talking about why are bitcoin mining companies and pools not dumping bitcoin compared to the previous cycles that they were dumping a lot more bitcoin to fund operations well i'm sure if that's too true i would say um yes there are very few mining companies that are like just following that like cash flow uh like business model uh th there are a couple like value traded mining companies that are just mining bitcoin to get the ca cash flow and pay dividends to investors there are mm -hmm. a few but most of these companies are trying to get leverage because in the public markets they also get like a 10x multiple on their hash rate so right now if you go and see all of these publicly traded mm -hmm. miners you see like for example marathon marathon has like just over three exahashes worth of hash rate right uh, and they have a three billion, give or take, uh, like market cap uh, valuation, company valuation, right? So that essentially gives Marathon a hundred k per valuation per petahash. Um, oh, sorry, a hundred k per terahash, okay. right? So you can literally go and buy a terahash for a hundred dollars, plug it in, and get like a ten x multiple mm -hmm. on, on the ASICs that you just buy. So that's also like another way to get like a public market multiple. Uh, just like buying Bitcoin and then procuring and just buying more machines. I mean, we don't really know if Marathon is able to plug in all of these machines uh, or if they are like even going to be able to fulfill uh, or like meet all of the hash rate expectations that they've been promising. But uh, they're kind of incentivized to continue and buying more and more machines because the public markets then go and reward them, right? Uh, they are just boosting their stock by 10x. So it's another way to get leverage. And gotcha. if I'm CEO and I'm boosting my stock 10x every time I invest 100 and I get a thousand worth in valuation, I mean this is kind of like a non-stop wheel that I, I would tend to follow. And uh, this happens in every single public traded company that's out there. And this is not a marathon. This is Bit Farms. This is Argo. This is like every single mining company out there. Absolutely. And hopefully, hopefully Luxor Luxor is heading in that direction soon one day. <laughs> um, Phil. We'll I, I know you had some questions. Um, yeah, no, you know what? I, I actually I had a comment before a question, but it, it kind of had to do with the uh, with the VCs. If we've learned anything from the VCs, it's that you can just keep getting money perpetually without actually providing anything, you know, without actually providing the end product, right? Always being able to kind of kick the can down the road. I'm not suggesting that Marathon is doing that necessarily, but I think you raised some very good points, right? Like, how much would it cost to plug in 78,000 miners, right? Like, what facility would they have to build and stuff like that? So I, I, think, that that's, I think that that's definitely a good point. Okay, 
My question, though, my because as you were explaining this, I, I was thinking this, right? Is it at all possible? Is it at all possible that the reason why the miners or I, and I, I know I'm just totally blanket statement, you know, the miners, but whatever group of miners it is that is not selling, is it at all possible that they're not selling because they're secretly filled with hopium that we're going to get to 100K sooner than later? <laughs> I had to throw it out there, you know, because maybe, miners not maybe. selling to keep the lights on. I mean, maybe, <laughs> miners are no different than like any other holder. They have no special powers in here. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe they are. Uh, I mean, I, I'm also, I'm also holding, and even if we go to have no care, I'm not going to be dumping my packs. So, right? I don't think miners will either, to be honest. Um, so, man. I, I, I'm sorry. I did have I did have one other one one other one other ridiculous notion, which is this: the price is up to you know between forty and fifty k. Miners just don't have to sell as much Bitcoin to provide the exact same services. So maybe that's all we're experiencing. <laughs> maybe it's just natural market dynamics. We just don't have to spend as much, you know. So we get to hodl more. Absolutely, absolutely crazy. Guzman, thank you so much for giving us a little bit of inside baseball into all how all that stuff works. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people found it valuable. We don't, you know, we don't have a lot of my, people that work in your position on the show often. So we really appreciate it. But anyways, Phil, there was Thanks. an open source software release today. Why do you tell everybody about it? Software releases. The software releases are brought to you by CypherSafe. Check them out, cyphersafe.io. They've got the Cypher wheel. And just recently, I received the Cypher grid. This is definitely the safest place that you can store your Bitcoin seed. The link is down below in the show notes. Interestingly enough, had nothing to do with the meme score from our wonderful guest, but Foundation Passport version 1.0.8 was released. And that's down below in the show notes. Now, guys, as you know, rain or shine, we post Monday through Saturday and we have our audio only episodes, which you can check out. We release them at the exact same time as the videos. You can check them out on Apple Podcasts. You can check us out on Spotify and you can check us out on Anchor. Awesome. Thank you, Phil. All right, guys, that was our show. Before we go, I want to give a very, very special shout out to Guzman Pintos. You can go give him a follow at Guzman Pintos. He is the CPO at Luxor Tech Team. Awesome pool, by the way. Highly recommend it. Luxor Mining Pool. And definitely go check out. It's like the Clark Moody dashboard, but on steroids. It's called Hash Rate Index. Anyways, guys, that was our show. If you enjoyed the show, you know what to do. Smash that like button. And of course, if you want to continue hearing the catastrophic fails from the shitcoiners, Phil just keeps revealing it. It's, it just doesn't stop. And the Bitcoin news from the plea pleb perspective, definitely consider subscribing. And we'll see you tomorrow, guys, for a brand new episode of Simply Bitcoin. Runaway inflation, transitory inflation, never-ending Fed meetings with no solutions. Opt out. It's time for Bitcoin. Booyakasha! Booyakasha!